0: Alright, go ahead and take a seat. I, mean, I feel like we're about to go to church today. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for leading us, Dalton and Angie. Uh, hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Dan. I serve as one of the pastors here alongside Jason Phillips, who you'll meet later on in the service today. Uh, and we're just so grateful that you are uh, here with us uh, this morning. If this is your first time here or the last couple of weeks maybe you've been checking out LifePoint from a distance and just want to know like what's going on here? What is this place? What do we got uh, going on here? One of the easiest ways uh, for you to take just one next step and maybe have a conversation with, with us uh, to uh, share your story. We'd love to share more about who we are, what we believe God has called us to be about in uh, the city of Worthington and beyond. One of the easiest ways to take a next step is uh, on the seat right in front of you, there's a QR code. You can scan that code uh, and it will take you to our website, lpguest.com, where you can fill out a quick form and we'll love to start that conversation with you. The other thing that you'll see when you fill out that form uh, is that just as a way of saying thank you for being here, we'd love to make a donation to one of our partner ministries, a $5 donation in your honor, just as a way of saying thank you for being here and thank you for connecting with us Today, Uh, One more thing I want to chat about, and I got to move fast because the last couple weeks I've been promising like shorter messages and I feel like I've been lying to you. Uh, So these two things don't count on my sermon time. Okay. These are just, these are just uh, a couple quick announcements. Uh, Coming up on November 1st, we are going to be hosting something called Life Group United. Life Group United. And this is going to take us five weeks into uh, the month of December. But you know, as a part of our vision for a local church, we want to be a church where where no one walks alone. We believe community, authentic community, is absolutely vital as we grow as followers of Jesus and step into the different spaces and places where God has called us. And at LifePoint, we believe a vital part of that is our life group uh, ministry. That's uh, where we gather in homes throughout the week uh, and have some more authentic space for community to develop there. And we're going to be jumpstarting our life groups here at uh, LifePoint Worthington. The way we're going to do that is host on Wednesday evening, starting, uh, starting November 1st, we're going to be hosting something called Life Group United, where we will all be together, uh, and we're actually going to go through a study in the book of Daniel. Uh, I know what it feels like if you've been around the church for a while, like, man, we're Revelation and then Daniel? Seriously? Come on. Like, yeah, Thanks a lot, Dean. I appreciate you uh, having these two series back-to-back. Uh, our lead pastor, Dean, is here today. Uh, back-to-back is my uh, you know, introduction into LifePoint. Appreciate that, man. Uh, but we'd love for you to register for life, uh, life Group United. You can do that on the way out, or uh, you may have gotten an email this weekend uh, from Jason Phillips with information about registration. If you did not get that email, that means you're not on our email list, and so we have no way to connect with you To fix that, scan that QR code right on the back of the seat and we'll be able to connect with you that way. Okay, those are my things. Now I can start my little sermon timer. There we go. All right, we'll be good. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, why don't you open to the New Testament book of Revelation? New Testament book of Revelation. If you need help getting there, it is the very last book in your Bibles. If you're looking at charts or maps, you've gone a little bit too far. We're going to be at the end of the last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. If you need the table of contents, no judgment, that's, that's helpful for all of us. Revelation, we're going to be in chapter 17, Revelation 17. We'll jump into a bit of chapter 18 as well uh, this morning. And at LifePoint, uh, you may know this, we have been in a series through this book of Revelation for the last several uh, several weeks now. We've called this series New because that is the whole arc of the storyline of Revelation, that God, through Jesus, is at work making all things right and all things new. That's the We're gonna get more into that in the next couple weeks as we hit the end of this book, but that's where the storyline is going. God is setting the world right. He's taking everything, Everything that's wrong and making it right. That's the the whole point of the book of Revelation. And, uh, you know, some of you have been around uh, the church for a little while and you've been waiting for your church to do a study like the book of Revelation because uh, you got a lot of questions about some of the things you've been reading. Maybe you're here today, this is kind of your first time with uh, other followers of Jesus or you've never really thought about the book of Revelation before. Uh, Fair warning, there's some odd stuff in this book. Uh, there's some challenging things for us to make sense of, but I want to just uh, let, let you know that stick with us through this series because as we hit these challenging symbols and challenging topics, uh, it's going to open up some good conversations for us for what it means today, here and now, for us to engage in the world around us. We've been saying this about Revelation from the beginning, that, uh, that this is not written to confuse us, uh, but this is written to bring Comfort for us here and now. There's going to be some confrontation, right? But God has this word for us, not to confuse us, but to uh, comfort us here and now in the world we live in. If you hear last week, we looked at Revelation chapter 16, and uh, we saw this stunning picture uh, of something that kind of makes us a bit uncomfortable of God's judgment. The stunning picture of judgment. One of the things we talked about uh, is that, unlike you and I, God is able to hold perfectly intention uh, these two ideas of judgment and justice. He holds those things perfectly in tension, doesn't have one at the expense of the other. In fact, uh, we, we said last week that you actually, like one of them, requires the other. Uh, they, they need each other. If you missed that message, you can head to our website. And I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. It'll give a lot of context for some of the things we're talking about today and as we finish out this series. Now, for today, there is no way around it. This is a challenging passage that we're looking at. There is just no way around. It is a hard passage. It's hard to make sense of what John is trying to communicate to us. It's hard to make sense of what he even wants us to, to do with a passage like Revelation 17. More than that, it's, it's hard to figure out like, how, how does this fit together in the broader uh, storyline of what John has been talking about in Revelation Right? But what, what he describes he's going to call it this he's, he's going to describe the destruction of Babylon like what, whatever that means right and then he'll go on to describe the the global response to the destruction of Babylon, which, which he seems to write as Future events, things that have not happened right now from our vantage point. But my hope is, my hope today is that when we're finished, we would see Revelation 17 and 18 as a profound encouragement for the way that we live and engage in the world around us today. Right? That when you walk out these doors today, you have a profound encouragement to say, hey, th- th- this is speaking to the way that I go and live my life, the way I step into my workplace, the way that I talk with my neighbors, or the-, the conversation I have with family on the way back home. Right? We've been saying it like this. Revelation, particularly Revelation 17 and 18, is less about a future calendar and more about a present hope. So if you're not there yet, open with me to Revelation 17. Revelation 17. I'll read a part of this passage, pray, and then we'll get started. Revelation 17, starting in verse 1. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. You can follow along there. It says this, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, come. I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual morality and with the wine of whose sexual morality the dwellers on earth have become drunk and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet I marveled greatly. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we pause this morning knowing that you, you are the one who has orchestrated our lives in such a way that uh, we now find ourselves here today In this moment in time, looking at this passage. And for each one of us, we have different stories and reasons about why and how we ended up in a church on Sunday morning. God, some of us are just here because someone invited us. Not sure what we believe about any of this uh, Jesus stuff, especially the stuff we just read. Not sure what to do with any of that. Uh, But Father, I pray that you would speak clearly to all of us that you in this time would do far more than just challenge our thinking, but you would change our hearts. Lord, where we need to be confronted, would you do that by the power of your Holy Spirit? Father, we're grateful uh, that you say your word will never return to you void. You will accomplish uh, in our hearts and minds and imaginations, you, you will accomplish your will for our lives through your word. And so help us to be uh, not just hearers only, but doers of your word for your fame, for your sake in this city of Worthington and beyond. And God, we're also mindful right now of what is happening on the global stage. And God, we know that there is great conflict that has erupted again in uh, Israel and Hamas. And we, we pray for peace, Lord, or for so many of these things, we, we look at it and we, like, we don't know what the solution is in terms of policy often. And we, we talk to people from different sides of this conversation and it feels like a, just a tornado of ideas that we can get caught up in. Uh, and yet, Lord, there are real people who are profoundly affected either way by what happens. And so we pray uh, for your divine intervention and your peace to be established God, we are also mindful today that uh, at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, there are many other gospel preaching churches across uh, the Columbus area that are gathering right here and now. And so we pray blessing on them that you'd provide what they need. We pray for our friends up at Worthington Christian. We pray uh, for new church plant in Sunbury, Grace Church, Sunbury. We pray that uh, you would be knitting them together as a core team, that they would have uh, great influence and favor in the community as they launch. Father, we pray that, uh, you, that you would do uh, beyond what they could even ask or imagine for your namesake and that community. God, we're grateful to just be here today. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and get started. The destruction of Babylon. Wow, okay, what are we gonna do with this? Well, here's the the first obvious question we need to ask What is Babylon? What, what is John talking about? What is Babylon? And actually what we're going to see is that John, John kind of answers this question in this passage as we work through it, but, but he's going to give us a few different perspectives on Babylon. Now, before we even answer that question, it would be helpful to think about it this way. How many of you like to fly? Like on an airplane, you like flying, you know that um, you you get this interesting perspective when you're flying, you're getting ready to land uh, and think about what you see when you're uh, about to land in a new city. Right, you get this, this interesting vantage point of the city, right? In one sense, you, you, see, you see everything in, in that city. You, you see it switch from uh, the, the rural land, you see it switch to the suburbs, and then you might see the skyline. Like if you're watching John Glenn or flying into John Glenn, you're going to see uh, the whole city at a, uh, at a, in a glance, right? The whole thing from start to finish. And in that sense, you do see the whole city. Very unique vantage point. But there's another way to see a city, right? Not just flying over it. You can drive through a city. And this, this is a very different vantage point of the city. First of all, you can't see it in three seconds. It may, it may take hours for you to get just, just through the city and see different aspects of it, to, to see different communities and neighborhoods and actual people as you're driving through and restaurants and buildings and all of this stuff. You're going to see a very different vantage point of the city when you drive through it rather than flying over it. And the thing about driving through it is that it takes a long time to drive through a city. I think about You know, my home back in Chicago. It takes like a billion years uh, to get through the traffic in Chicago. It's it's why we moved because we hate traffic. (laughs) You get a very different vantage point when you drive through a city rather than flying through a city. And I think what John is going to do for us in Revelation 17 and 18 is he's going to give us a flyover view of Babylon. We're going to see this city. We're gonna see the whole storyline, the whole arc of the storyline of Babylon as we fly over it, right? Now the tension is you and I, we don't just get to fly over Babylon though. Eventually we realize we gotta drive through Babylon. And so we're going to see this also from that perspective and talk a little bit more about that towards the end. But think about these two different ways to see it, the flyover versus driving through the city. We're going to talk about that more. So back to the question, what is Babylon? What what is Babylon? What is John talking about? Well, remember, if you're familiar with the biblical storyline, this is not the first time that we have encountered uh, this city in the scriptures, right? We've talked about Babylon before. Some of you remember that in the Old Testament, right? The Babylonian Empire was kind of seen as the arch enemy of God's people. It was the dominant superpower in the Middle East for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was, in fact, the Babylonian Empire that uh, brought God's people into exile, a few weeks we're going to start this new series in the book of Daniel, the, the entirety of which takes place in the Babylonian empire. We're going to talk more about it uh, there. And so in, in many ways, uh, in the era when John wrote the book of Revelation, Babylon had come to represent something like the the shadow kingdom of God, the anti-kingdom of God. It was the opposite of, uh, of everything God was and is doing in the world. That, that's what Babylon had come to represent. Historically speaking, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when John wrote this letter, Babylon had been, as an empire, irrelevant for, for a couple hundred years at this point. Like, it had been almost obliterated at this point. Uh, so, so the question is, like, why, why is John still talking about Babylon then? If it doesn't matter anymore, what's, what's he talking about? Well, we start to see some interesting historical parallels uh, here. Remember, remember who he's writing to. John is uh, writing to a group of followers of Jesus uh, in modern-day Turkey, these different cities in modern-day Turkey, and they are all living under the influence of the Roman Empire, right? an empire that in many ways mirrored and surpassed the power and cruelty of Babylon. Babylon. But actually, as John is writing this, he is imprisoned by the Roman authorities on a, uh, on, uh, exiled on an island, uh, a prison island. Uh, and so when, when he's writing this letter, he's got to be a little careful about how he might talk about. Rome, for example. He may not want to come out, you know, guns blazing against, against Rome uh, and just use that kind of language. You've got to be careful how he says certain things. But, but his original audience would have made uh, the connection almost immediately that Rome was a type, was a, was a kind of Babylon. It was a world system. It was a, a structure in place, the dominant structure on the, the global stage. If John could have used air quotes, he would be saying this, Babylon. Okay? You follow me? That's what he'd be doing in this book. And if we think of this first section like a flyover of Babylon, right? Flying over, seeing the whole thing at one time. Uh, here is what John wants us to focus on in the flyover. It's like, it's like the skyline in this flyover. It's the thing that our eyes are drawn to. Look with me at uh, chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Verses one and two. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, "Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual morality, and with the wine, uh, and, and with the wine of whose sexual morality the dwellers on earth have become drunk." Super vivid language, very vivid language. But he wants us to see Babylon, right? Babylon. As intertwined with the powers that be on the global stage. Remember, the, the, the kings of the earth are now involved and caught up in this system. They're, they're, they're intricately tied with Babylon, right? And the people of the earth, everybody, drunk the Kool-Aid, right? Keep reading. Thank you for laughing. My sense of humor is dry. <laughs> it's going to take a minute for us to learn this about each other. Keep reading how he describes Babylon in verse five. On her forehead is written a great mystery. Uh, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and the earth's abominations. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled uh, greatly. See, here's what he wants us to focus on. This is the summary statement of Babylon. Right? He, he wants us to see Babylon the way it really is like if you got a problem with with how like grotesque that language is that he's using John's doing that on purpose because he wants us to understand and see Babylon as nothing short of evil the evil a system at work in the world that is dominant and powerful and alive, and well, and he wants to pull back the veil a little bit and say, here's what's going on beneath the surface. That's evil. Now, it's interesting to me that John doesn't do what so many Christians reading the book of Revelation want to do or want him to do, right? He he doesn't, he doesn't come right out and say like, hey, by the way, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I'm talking about Rome. Right, he, he doesn't come out and say exactly who he's talking about. See, see today, we want, to, we, we want to figure out exactly who Babylon is or, or what empire today is Babylon. We, we want to know exactly who it is, which is foolish, because it's obviously Russia. <laughs> you got it that time. That's good. That's good. We're making progress. We want to know exactly who he's talking about, and John doesn't write it that way. He doesn't. Instead, he's talking about something that is just, it's so much more in the shadows. Out of sight, pulling strings. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a deep state or anything like that, but, but I think what he's describing here is, is almost the same thing that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, when he says this, Paul writes it this way. Ephesians 6, verse 12. It's on the screen behind me. He says, "...for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against uh, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, both John and Paul are talking about the same thing, that the world we live in today is not simply material, that, that what we see is not all that there is, that, uh, but, but at work in the world we are embodied in are, are real cosmic forces, real spiritual forces of evil. Now, for some of you, that, that just, that sounds like that's a little too far out there. Like, I'm, that's, that's one of the reasons why I don't believe this Christian stuff, because you talk about things like that. A bit more fear-mongering than anything else. It's interesting. There's a there's a guy named Andrew Andrew Delbanco. He's a uh, r- secular writer, uh, philosopher. He teaches uh, philosophy out at the uh, University of Columbia, Columbia University in New York, and he wrote a fascinating book. It's hard to find in print now. Um, it's called The Death of Satan. In fact, I think I'm on a list at Barnes and Noble now because when I went to go ask for this book, the lady was like, "What book are you looking for?" And I said, "Oh, The Death of Satan." She was like, "Okay, <laughs> weirdo." He wrote this book, The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost the Sense of Evil. And he's, he's writing about this, processing his own parents' survival of some of the uh, Nazi death camps. And he makes the argument that in Western culture, what we have done at large, we've kind of moved away from any belief in a kind of Satan-type figure. Right, and so, again, some of you are like, "Yes, that's cr- because that's crazy. Don't need to, We don't need that, so that. That's ancient, archaic. Let's move on to something else." But he says the unintended consequence of that. When you remove any type of Satan figure, we we actually have robbed ourselves of the ability to make sense of evil in the world around us or robbed ourselves of the ability to process real evil in the world around us. And so what we end up doing is we can watch something horrible on TV and because we don't know then what to do with it, we change the channel. And we live in a unique moment in history when, when oftentimes that's kind of enough for us to get some distance and kind of move on. He says the the real problem of evil, Andrew Delbanco says, is that we, we, we don't we, we don't we pretend it doesn't exist until someday it comes and slaps us across the face. Because it is real. It's powerful. See, the Christian worldview actually offers a very different alternative in making sense of evil. It says that that, that evil is a very real aspect in the world as we know it, that there are powerful forces at work that take root and impact how the world functions today. The Christian worldview looks at things that are happening like genocides across the world and it says, you know, these are not simply the result of somebody, some, uh, you know, power hungry individual who wants to lead through fear, but because there are these deeper undercurrents of spiritual darkness at work in the world around us but that there are evil people who are given power and authority to put things in place, to put policies in place, procedures in place that are unjust, that are broken, that may benefit only a certain kind of people and propagate their own uh, power, right? Evil is not, in other words, evil is not this abstract uh, moral construct floating somewhere in the ivory towers of philosophy, No, 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 see, evil, John says, evil is alive and well in the world around us. It is taking ground, shaping hearts, forming mind, crafting policy, taking lives, and growing. Friends, this is Babylon. And it's everywhere. The world as we know it it is bought in bought in. And just look, look at verse two again. That, that's what he's talking about. The kings, of the earth, the people of this world, we, we all have drunk the Kool-Aid. Now that's not all said, John says about Babylon. Look with me at verse one of chapter 18. This is after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Remember, I said John is taking us on a flyover. We get to see we can see the whole arc of the, the storyline of Babylon in these two verses. You get to see the power. You get to see the influence of Babylon. In chapter eighteen, we also see its demise. And this, you know, actually, this is something that is far more powerful than we first might uh, recognize. Because ultimately, what John is saying here uh, is that there, there is an end to the reign of terror, of the reign of power in Babylon, that while it, it is powerful here and now, while we might feel the sting here and now, this is not the way that it will always be. The world will not always be like this. That's, that's, what, that's the, the force of what John is building to, that one day we will join the, the, the chorus with that angel and say that Babylon is fallen, more than that, we, we're going to see this in even greater detail at the end of chapter 20 uh, next week. Right, we're going to see God's justice over Babylon. Look at verse 5. 18 verse 5. For her sins are heaped up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as if she has paid back, as she's paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a portion, a double portion for her in the cup she has mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart, she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning shall never see me. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Friends, what this reminds us again uh, is that, that uh, the work and power of Babylon has not gone unnoticed by God. He is not absent. He is not absent. He, he is not gone. He is not powerless against the forces of Babylon. Why, do we, why doesn't he do it, deal with it right now? I don't know. I don't know. But that's not what John is trying to tell us. He's, he's trying to show us that whatever we encounter now, there will be an end of Evil where every wrong, every wrong will be made right as God himself puts the world back together again. Makes all things right and all things new. And in this flyover of Babylon, right, the perspective we get in the flyover, the perspective we get is of an empire whose doom is sure, Like I said, here's the problem, uh, because you see, you and I, we, we, we don't get to fly over Babylon. We, we don't get to experience the full arc of the story all at once, here and now. See, just like John, uh, though we see the whole picture so we, we, we have to drive through it rather than fly through it. And I think this is the real tension in a passage like this. I think this is the real tension in a passage like this. and uh, You know, one that is talking about something we still wait for, something we, we, we long for, because in that waiting period that we are in right now, even when we know what the outcome is, we still have to wait still have to experience the effect of Babylon that is alive and well in the world around us, that is still taking ground, shaping hearts, forming minds, and growing. Right? To, to borrow Paul's language again, you see, we, we still, right now, today, we still do not wrestle merely against flesh and blood but also against real spiritual forces of evil in the world around us. I wanna be really careful here, really careful here, because I am, not, I am not an alarmist, I am not a defeatist, I'm not saying we should just you know, pack it all up and get out of here, but something I think we need to wrestle with in our own cultural moment here today is just how powerful Babylon actually is, and, and this this is not something we're good at. As as particularly those of us who've grown up in uh, an American context or in the American church, this is not this is not our uh, mo. Right, we often underestimate. How powerful Babylon actually is. And there's something, I think, unique about the American spirit. Uh, but, but so often, our, our first response is to, to fight back against Babylon. Right? We even frame sometimes our interaction with culture as we're going to take back the culture. Or a culture war. That we're not, not going, I'm not going down without a fight. And there are very good reasons to have conversations like that. Don't, don't misunderstand me. There are very good reasons to, uh, to use the influence that, that I think is unique in the American church, to use the influence you have to, to, to talk about and promote and, and fight for what is right and good and true. Yes, that, that, is, that is good. But the other conversation we need to have is how we, as God's people, are going to endure Not just as we drive through Babylon, but as we live under Babylon. Under the rule and reign of an ever-increasing Babylon. How will we live under that? Because for a season, a long season, Babylon will be strong. In fact, Babylon may be strong after most of us or all of us in this room are gone. Means means we're going to find ourselves uh, having to make sense of the world living on the uh, the the other end, the losing end of a lot of, vo- of a lot of votes. You see what I'm saying? We have to figure out what what does it look like uh, to endure under Babylon, and I think that this this calls for the the the, the forgotten paradigm of the Christian life in the Western Church a life defined by endurance and i say it's forgotten because because it was once alive and well and essential for followers of Jesus who lived directly under the rule and reign of babylon Right, in, in, in a society that was necessarily hostile to the message and way of Jesus. Sometimes we forget that many followers of Jesus, in fact, most who live outside of this country, live under societies and under governmental systems that are explicitly hostile to the message of Jesus. That is a reality uh, for many, many, many. In fact, most Christians throughout history have lived this way. And what they do, they adopt this mantra, and it's beautiful, It's beautiful. They adopt this mantra from the from the New Testament, the book of James. Says this. James chapter one, verse two. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. What kind of trials is he talking about? It's not just your internet going down it's not that you miss prime day again Though, mark your calendars prime day is coming up now when, when, when you experience trials of various kinds he's talking about some of the most painful things that you can experience in this life because you know that the testing of your faith produces what endurance and let endurance have its full effect. Don't shy, don't run away from this thing. Don't, don't, don't immediately say, God, remove me from this thing. He says, no, let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Friends, what this passage is telling us is that we will encounter uh, a Babylon that is strong, alive, and well. And as we live under that, God is still gonna be working and shaping and forming something very different in our own hearts and minds that we do not get when we just escape. You see, for them, it's not about defeating Babylon, right? And for so many Christians throughout history and even today, it's not about defeating Babylon. We we, we don't get to defeat Babylon. Little by little, by the very continued existence, this is about subverting Babylon with the way and the message of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the one who is ultimately victorious over Babylon, and we will see that on display over the next two weeks as we finish up the book of Revelation. Yes, he is the one who sets up an everlasting kingdom that is far greater and surpasses anything that Babylon itself could produce. But the way that Jesus inaugurates, the way that Jesus defeats Babylon, the way that Jesus conquers is so upside down and backwards uh, from what the world would expect Right, he de- he, de- he defeats Babylon first through his death. What we understand from the rest of the New Testament storyline is that Jesus' death is not like any other death that we have heard about or encountered. His is a sacrificial death. His is a substitutionary death because while, while he lived the life you and I should have lived, perfectly obedient to all of what God commanded us up for and created us for, while he was perfectly obedient to all of that, he lovingly and willingly stepped down into our place Dying the death that you and I should have died in our place for our sin and our allegiance to Babylon. And yet the the gospel reminds us Jesus did not stay dead. He did not stay, he rose again from the dead with the hope and promise uh, of of new life and a new way of life for any and all who would put their faith and trust in Jesus, pledging their allegiance to him and him alone. See, the good news of the gospel is that Babylon, friends, does not have the final word. Babylon does not have the final word. It may be strong and it may grow stronger, but in the gospel, Babylon's doom is sure. You see, my hope as a pastor, my hope as a pastor is not that I form and produce culture warriors, which is sometimes what the church is known for. My hope is that here at LifePoint, in Worthington, that we would produce culture endurers that come what may, whenever and wherever Babylon throws its weight around, and it will, that we are a people who are not given over to despair, that we are not a people who are crushed and left behind with, with nothing, but that we are a people who cling tight to the author and perfecter of our faith, and that we are a people who wait for and long for, and have as the deepest yearning of our heart, a world made right in Jesus. that we look for the long game, the greater kingdom, that will one day and come and break the power of Babylon, that we would see what John saw in verse 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. We don't get to fly over Babylon. We don't just drive through Babylon. We live under Babylon. But until that day, Friends, our call is to endure. Until that day, we go about the business of God's kingdom here and now knowing full weight that in the eyes of Babylon, that makes us rebels. And as rebels, we should expect the overwhelming power of Babylon to push full steam ahead. But as followers of Jesus, friends, we endure with hope. The very thing that Babylon cannot produce. Finally, let me ask just two, two final things. How, how do we endure? Let me give you two practical things, two very, very practical things. How, how do we endure while we're driving through Babylon, living under Babylon, not just getting a flyover of it? How do we endure? Here's the, here's the first like, really practical way we endure. At life point, we talk about as one of our core values, is spiritual intimacy. And what that means for us is that uh, as we seek to live and engage in the world around us under the rule and reign of Babylon, one of the things that God has given us uh, is, is the promise that he walks closely with us. He walks with us through the, I mean, we, some of us have recited this verse from, from uh, you know, before we can even remember learning it, right? That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. God walks through us with these things and the practice of spiritual intimacy is growing in walking alongside Jesus. We get that practically as we open daily. We open his word and we read not just out of a uh, rote memory or this is just something we're supposed to do, but out of that, we, we see a richness of relationship develop, take root, and begin to shape and form our hearts and minds. It's so me like, where, where, where do I start? I'm not, not, you know, I've tried reading Bibles, I've tried the, the reading plans, and you know, I get lost, and all of a sudden I have 75 chapters to catch up on. And so I'm like, you know, forget it, I'll do it next year. No, open your Bible. You struggle with this, open your Bible to the, the New Testament Gospel of John. Take one chapter a day. One chapter a day. And begin to let the Word just read, think in dialogue with maybe spouse, friend, someone else about, about the things that you're reading. Come, to, You don't have that person, come chat with me. But it is spiritual intimacy that draws us close to the heart of Jesus. And as we walk through Babel, as we walk through the alley of the shadow of death. We walk with someone who knows us deeply and profoundly. If we get that in his word. Second thing I'll share with you. You know, earlier I talked about uh, what we're trying to do with life groups and uh, getting authentic community uh, embedded into our church family. And uh, we're we're hosting these Life Group Group United events starting November 1st. Well, friends, this is how we engage in authentic community, by saying, hey, I am not going to walk al- I'm not going to drive through Babylon alone. I need someone to go with me. And when you sign up for Life Group United and then to be part of a life group, what you're saying is I am not going to go through this alone. I wanna enter in this in community. And what we find over and over again is that it's in community that we have people who love us enough to push back on us, who love us enough to challenge us on a few things as we begin to open up, who love us enough to walk with us through pain and hard seasons, and we walk and live under Babylon together. Friends, this passage in 17 and 18 is immensely challenging for us to look at. We get these different perspectives of flying over and driving through Babylon, but I think what John has for us as his people is this deep desire that come what may, whatever we see, whatever we experience, whatever we encounter in Babylon, that in Jesus, we have the ability to, to endure. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your kindness to us. And as we sing this morning of uh, the living hope that we have in Jesus, God, I pray that you would continue to uh, form and uh, mold within us a paradigm of endurance, that we would be your people who cling tightly to you, who see you not just as uh, some historical figure, but we see you now, today, Uh, come what may, we see you as our living hope. Lord, we do thank you. We trust you, and we ask that long after we leave this place, you continue to preach to us by your Holy Spirit. We trust you for that work. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together.